1: For today is from the Gospel of Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. But before we read, let's pray together. Dear God, as we read your inspired word on this day, may we clearly hear your voice rather than our own. Let us have hearts that respond to the calling that is always present in your voice. Amen. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw Jesus, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. Jesus asked them, What are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast, cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me, and they brought the boy to him. When the Spirit saw him, immediately it threw the boy into convulsions, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the Father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keep this boy from speaking and hearing. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will last forever. Amen.
0: Well, you heard the story. A daddy brings his son to Jesus. It's his last hope. Can you heal my son? I suppose any father would do the same, but it's still a courageous thing to do. I say it takes courage because it takes hope. Hope that what has gone wrong can be made right. And to hope that always requires courage. Can you heal my son? He asked. And Jesus said, Of course I can, if you believe. To which the father replies, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, except when I don't. I trust you, but I know what I'm asking. I believe, but I know how hard it is to make things right. As you well know, I love this prayer tucked in the middle of the ninth chapter of Mark's gospel. We end every sermon with this simple five-word prayer, we believe, help our unbelief. I don't remember when I started using it, actually, but I've used it most of my ministry, and I've needed this prayer in different ways over my lifetime. Now, I, I, I know I want to say this up front. There are some people for whom doubt or question or unbelief is viewed as unfaithful. You just believe. You got questions? Just believe anyway. You're not so sure? Just believe anyway. That's what faith is. Even if you don't understand or, or you've got questions, just believe. That's what they'll say. David Lamont is a singer-songwriter, and he's got a song that tells a story of his childhood, which I understand to be a true story. He said as a child, he watched Peter Pan, the movie Peter Pan, and there learned that if you just believe, you can really fly. And so David climbed up on his roof, and with faith that could move mountains, he launched himself into the space over his backyard, and he flew straight into the ground and broke his collarbone. We can believe anything, it doesn't make it reality. And this is true. Christian faith never calls us to believe that which is not true. Quite the opposite. But still, believing what is really true can be challenging at times. And that's why, for me, belief and unbelief always live in close proximity. Frederick Beekner has an affectionate view of this. Beekner says, Unbelief or doubts are the ants in the pants of faith, he says. <laughs> they keep it awake, alive, and moving. For Beekner, doubt is that little question that lives in the back room of your mind, that raised hand at the end of the lecture. But what about that look of skepticism in the soul? That's, that's what Beekner is speaking of, the kind of, I'm not so sure, mental space. I imagine you know what Beekner's talking about. There are those questions that rise up either from thought or from circumstances of our lives that cause us to question the veracity of the faith that we claim. There are moments, questions, events that send us back to the books, back to the drawing board, to think again, to think deeper, to re-engage with what we've assumed to be true. In that sense, Beekner's absolutely right. Doubts like that are the ants in the pants of faith. It, It keeps us honest and engaged. Do you believe the Scriptures are the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ, as our ordination vow asks? Or do you believe Scripture is inerrant? That's a decision of doctrine. Do do you believe that God has a purpose for life and for the world, or do you believe it's all an accident? That's a question of faith, a doctrinal decision. Do you believe that God can bring life from death, or do you think that death wins? It's a doctrinal decision, a question. Doctrine, it sounds like a fancy word, but it's just a word that describes the conversation that Christians have through the generations, giving expression to what we think is true. I think that conversation is important. But if I understand this text, the question put to the Father is not a question about doctrine. Not, what do you think I can do? Now, the question put to this father is much deeper than that. And no offense to Beekner, but I think he missed it here. A father brought his son to Jesus and pleaded, Can you make this right? Can you heal my son? Can you mend what has gone wrong in this world of ours? That is the ultimate question of faith. Can God make right that which has gone wrong? Can God heal that which is broken? Can God comfort that which is bruised? Can God redeem that which is sinful? That is the ultimate question of faith. And Jesus says, yes, if you believe. To which he says, I do but I'm not certain. I do, except when I can't. I do, but I know how hard it is. I do, but I have been disappointed so many times. You see, the challenge of faith is not about little things. You see, Jesus is asking us to trust him with something so big that it seems to me impossible to trust without some wonder, without some question. Faith is not about certainties. It is about hope. Jesus spoke of the promised day of God, a day when justice will roll down like waters, a day when swords will be beaten into plowshares, a day when the sin in you and me will be washed away, and we will be defined not by the worst in us, but by the best in God. Do you believe that? Yes, but help my unbelief. Because in the face of the world's disappointments to hold fast to this vision of God's promised day, is not something we do with certainty, but with trust and hope. And that kind of hope takes courage. When my mother was in her mid-50s, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you this story. When my mother was in her mid-50s, she had a cerebral bleed that left her disabled. Before Carol and I even had children, we were taking care of my mother. A few years after her stroke, she started having seizures. She had them more days than not. We went to the neurologist almost weekly, it seemed, to get a new prescription, a change in medication. She was taking a fistful of pills every day, but the seizures were relentless. This went on for years. My mother's sister, my aunt, she lives in upstate New York, and she called me one afternoon and she said, Tom, I need you to send your mom to me. I said, what's going on? She said, I've got some folks here who have an alternative treatment. I said, what what do you mean? She said, well, they're just gonna lay hands on her for hours at a time, and they've had success with seizures. I said, and you may think I'm a horrible son, I said, that sounds kind of crazy to me. I had been to so many doctors, I had faced disappointment so many times. I didn't know it, but I had given up hope. And I told my aunt, I'll send her to you, but don't ask me to get on board. Don't ask me to be a cheerleader in this. This is all you. I just didn't have the courage to hope. Well, my mother went, and I can't explain it, but she doesn't have seizures anymore. She hadn't since she got back. And I'm profoundly grateful. But to hope that that would be the case required more courage than I had at the time. The reason faith and doubt, belief and unbelief are partners that Jesus blesses is because Jesus is asking us to trust that God will make right that which has gone wrong. And that is a huge ask. We are not simply to believe that we're going to go to heaven. We are to believe that Jesus is going to get a little heaven into us. That's different. We're not asked to believe that we can be our authentic self. We're asked to trust that we can be like Jesus. We're not asked to believe. That our lives can have meaning. We're asked to believe that all that has gone wrong can be made right. And it is one thing to trust that God can do this, it's another thing to claim that we're certain about it. For me, this faith is too big to squeeze down into certainty. That's just for me. So I pray all the time. I believe, help my unbelief. It feels honest, it feels hopeful. It feels like faith is right-sized with such a prayer. I choose to live in that space rather than to whittle God down into something about which we can be certain. And when we do, it launches us into a real journey of faith. I read about Matthew Sleeth. He's a medical doctor, served as chief of staff in a New England hospital. He and his wife, Nancy, they escaped the gray days of New England and sought vacation in the sands of Florida. He said he was sitting on the porch watching the surf beat the, beat the uh, shore uh, from the porch that he had rented, and Nancy asked him, what do you think? is the greatest problem the world is facing today? Is that the kind of conversations you have on vacation? (laughs) I do, actually, and so it was comforting to know that there was at least one other person who who, who does. What would you say? What is the greatest problem the world is facing today? Would it be poverty? Would it be war? The Father in our passage would say it's disease? After some thought, Sleeth said, The earth is dying. We're moving toward a day when people can't survive here anymore. And she said, Then what are we going to do about it? He could not leave this conversation on vacation. It launched Sleeth on a spiritual journey. He claimed or reclaimed Christianity. He said he found in Christianity a calling and a grace that empowered him to face the world no matter what it was like, to face it with hope and courage and trust. I think that's what it means to be Christian. To let our lives be defined, not by the disappointments that we know, but by the hope that we claim. By the hope that Christ brings us. The love of Jesus Christ invites us to see the world as it is. And to trust the world as the redemptive power of God could make it. But as soon as we imagine a world shaped by the redemptive love of God, we are believing in something so big, so foreign, that it seems to me hard to hold with certainty. So we embrace it with hope, with faith. And we pray. We believe. Help our unbelief. Because the news is that